Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, Moxie. Hi, Mom. Um, Moxie, something that I really appreciate about you is, and admire about you, is your ability to mourn and feel sadness and cry and let it all out. Um, where do you think that comes from? Well, I guess you just practice. And Blue. Blue, like, she would hold in all her emotions and then explode. And then I thought, I don't want to be Blue. No offense to Blue. Stand up fussing and fighting. Hi. I'm Nalika Radway, and this is Raising Rebels, a podcast about oppressed parents raising free children. Today, we are talking about loss and how we make space for our children's grief. I am joined by good, good friends, um, like good, good friends of mine, good, good friends of Raising Rebels, Allegra White. Say hi, Allegra. Hi. Keith. Hey. Allegra's husband. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Hamara Radway. Hello. So, um, tell me one word to describe how you're feeling right now. Comfortable. Keith. Oh. It's here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're here. We're here. We're, we're, uh, we're in the space. We're doing it. We're doing it. I don't know. Okay. Feeling happy. Okay. I am feeling. I've been so I've been having every I've been having such hard times finding the words to describe how I'm feeling. My feelings are like feel like colors and different things, but I'm feeling purple. So I'm, I don't know. That's how I'm feeling right now. I'm feeling very purple. So tell us what are your girls into right now? Um, well, the second eldest is into ballet. That's what she does most of the week, five days a week. So it's just pretty focused. Um, my eldest daughter is into being 17 and whatever comes with that. It's a um, lot. 17 a lot. 17 a lot. She's into pushing boundaries. She's, um. Me too, me too. Into being reminding us that she's going to be 18 soon. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's, you know, so. Um, the twins are into, they're in ballet and tap. So they're super excited about that. Mm-hmm. And Cohen is, she's two, and she is into Elmo. It's so funny. Oh, I don't miss the Elmo face. But what I, it's interesting that you say she's two, your youngest, because I I was sure you were going to say four. She's like so Oh my gosh, big. don't rush her. Um, no, Please. I don't want her, not because I want her to be big, but just I was like, that's it. She's only been around for, she's, she feels like she's been here forever. Really? Yes, oh. I do. Um... Kamara, what are our girls into right now? 
mean, we just came out of Halloween, so they were really into Halloween. Yeah, I'm guessing we're just going right. Oh, Frozen. Frozen's coming out tonight, tomorrow. Oh my gosh, they're, they're crazy excited about fr- the, oh, Frozen. Are we in a hole? I didn't even stay know there. there was a stay, new Frozen stay, coming stay, out. Stay in yeah. that hole. Stay in their hole. Stay in so the hole. So one's really excited about Frozen Two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the rest are really excited about the holidays. Mm-hmm. Baking and like getting family together mm-hmm. it's gonna be yeah i'm putting in requests mm-hmm. who's baking blue Blue's they kind of get together as a team though kind of it's nice blue's serious about her baking yeah. really it's like, yeah it's not a joke it's not it's and not she's really good it's not a, it's like real it's not yeah it's not it's not a joke at all um so tell me it's interesting like i'm always coming up with questions for parents to reflect on about their parenting and today i was wondering like what is a question that you would like to ask your child i know it's a hard one but you guys are like you're you know you're like graduates like this is like we're ready to step it up so come with it i wish you guys could see allegra's face right now you know why because i feel like we speak we 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 have a lot of dialogue i don't feel like there's anything that we don't ask them is there anything that we don't talk about no we talk about everything probably too much okay okay so that question kind of stumped me because Uh i'm like well we don't have any questions to ask them you don't have any questions that you want to ask them no because we whatever we want (laughs) to ask them we ask them and whatever they want to ask us they ask us. Okay. No, okay. we have full on family meetings uh-huh. pretty often. Uh-huh. And um We were definitely asked about eating the box. <gasps> <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. And, okay. And I was like <laughs> are you actually eating? Are you like like tell me about it? Does dad do it to you? Like and we were like, I was like, I want to leave. Can I, can I go? And I was like, no, you have to stay here. If she doesn't talk about this with us. That's right. Yeah, I'm never uncomfortable in these kind of spaces. Keith is very, and sometimes it surprises me how uncomfortable he is because I'm like, you made all these girls. Like, mm-hmm. this is what it's going to be. So yes. you need to really get in there because this is just, this is your life. But yeah, but whenever like, you know, their menstrual cycle comes up, uh-huh. any of those kind of mm-hmm. questions. He's like, all right, I'm going to just, you know, step out for a minute. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. No. Well, Hamara, I mean, it's interesting because I was thinking like, what's the question you have for your, for your kids? But what is um, the most interesting question your child has ever asked you? <laughs> oh, I mean, I you guys now have me thinking about some interesting questions I want to ask them. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Share, tell mean, us. Like questions like that. Like what parts of sex are they thinking about? Mm-hmm. Like what do they think sex is mm-hmm. um, in more detail? Like mm-hmm. we've talked about like what biologically sex is, what logistically sex is. We talked about like, you know, emotionally what sex is. But I wonder to them of what they think. Yeah, the in between parts are. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even think of that. And them, you getting that question has made me think about it. So mo- most interesting question. I mean, the most interesting question my kids have asked me is Glory asking me. We took a walk one morning, 
Remember when the Mega Millions was like a billion dollars or something? And so like I got up and I was hyped Saturday morning, like my hand tingled and I was like, I'm about to win this joint. (laughs) (laughs) I took Glory with me because she wanted a blow pop. So it was like, let's go. So we walked, it was like 15 degrees on a Saturday morning or something. We walked down to the bodega and we got a, a lotto ticket and Glory goes, so why do you want to win the lottery? Mm. And I was like, this is deep, but this is very simple, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember I gave her this long explanation of all these things. It was like collective liberation, burn Babylon <laughs> down, like all of it, right? She's like, and, you just want a blow pop. Yeah, and she was <laughs> Here's like- all the blow pops. She was like, you think the, you think a lottery can do a lot, huh? Mm-hmm. And it was very interesting for me. So that was like, yeah, mm-hmm. reframe like how I was thinking about like mm-hmm. money in a way. So today we're talking about loss. And when I, um, I want to just start with the, um, I, I am fully bringing in tears. Like I would like, and, and laughter, but like, I want to, um, I don't know. I like, I just want to invite everybody to cry. This is an invitation to everybody listening, everybody in the space, like to cry. But anyway, so today we're talking about loss. And when I was thinking about loss, um, really what kind of resonated with me or kept popping up was this idea of sadness and how many times when we think about loss, what we associate so much with it or what the feeling that comes is this sadness. And so I asked guests to do a recollection and the point of recollection is to get in touch with our childhood selves and also to bring our children into the space um, out of respect, trying to build understanding. And so I asked all of you to think about um a time when you've experienced sadness and actually to push back as far as you can. And it could be sadness that you actually felt or sadness that you witnessed. Um, So Allegra, do you mind starting and sharing your story? Sure. So um, I grew up with my great grandmother in my house from a baby until I was about 13 my great-grandmother and my mom and sometimes my dad and um as she started to get older um she started to show signs of dementia but as a kid i didn't recognize those signs until one day uh she couldn't find a set of keys of hers and she um called me to her and started accusing me of stealing the keys and it got to the point where she started to shake me and I was really terrified and I called my mom and she came over and started to you know explain to her like she doesn't have your keys grandma like what's going on but I saw this the fear turned into sadness because I saw this I recognize the dementia now in her face mm-hmm. and what everyone had been talking about. Mm-hmm. And I, and I saw this kind of blank look go over her where it, she didn't seem to even be fully present. Mm-hmm. And that's when I, uh, that's when the realization hit me that she was going to be different and that things were going to change. I mean, we spent a lot of time together. She basically took care of me while my parents were at work when I would come home from school. Um, and that's the point where 
I realized, you know, there was going to be like a shift in our relationship and it made me really sad. Mm -hmm. But it was a few years after she died that it got worse because I remembered that I had being like a prankster. I had taken the keys and I had hidden them somewhere um, like underneath a tablecloth or something. And um, I felt so terrible but in the but I had done it so many hours before she was actually looking at them and mm-hmm. I, I forgot I was mm-hmm. a kid I completely forgot that I even did it mm-hmm. and then the whole shock of her being physical with me you know completely messed up my memory too but then after she died and I realized oh my god I had taken the keys I felt so terrible <sighs> Keith, I don't know. I mean, I, it was, I'm already welling up. That was a lot. I felt it in my whole chest. My purple has gotten so deep. It just is like continuing. Um, but we're ready. We have, we have the capacity to hold all of the sadness. So, yeah. So I've had, I, so I had a best friend from probably I was 13, and you know, 13 years old. And we we used to hang out all the time. Our families hang out all the time. We vacationed together. And um, on my 39th birthday, I was um, I was you know I was I was managing an artist at the time, and we we were taking we were going to um, to LA for the Grammys. And um, he's like he was nominated for a Grammy. It was like a celebratory type of time. And um, when uh, I was on the plane, my 39th birthday, and when I landed, I guess Allegra was trying to call me, but she couldn't get me, so she called my client, my artist, and um, and put me and got on the phone with me and told me that my best friend had died. Mm-hmm. Um, it was um, it was. It was really surreal because right before I got on a plane, we were kind of like, we were on text. Um, and he was saying, you know, he was saying like, you know, happy birthday, um, love you, bro. See you when you get back or something like, you know, it wasn't like a deep conversation, but it was just like, you know. Um, and I was, you know, I'm notoriously really slow with text. So I didn't get the text until I landed, but that was the last, you know, last text. So now I'm in LA I'm work, I still have to work and I can't get a flight back for a couple of days because um for whatever reason right I could you know it, there's a lot going on and I have to book a flight back um but for I feel like a day and a half or yeah like a day and a half I kind of just couldn't really move you know and I think that um I I didn't want to come back to New York because I didn't want to have to deal with, with that. Mm -hmm. And I was being, I know I was being selfish. Um, But that was a really tough, that was a really tough moment for me. But, you know, it wasn't, it's interesting because, you know, I, I experienced sadness differently. Like, I'm, I don't know. I feel like I have to process it over and over and over. And so I feel like, that happened four years, I'm going on four years ago. I feel like I'm still going through that sadness at different times, uh, different during different times of the week. 
because that's my process. And so that's kind of like, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Hi, Amara. You gonna bring the t- you look your eyes already. Like I'm about to cry. Yes. It's funny because sadness and like giddiness are like if it was a circle, they are at the ends of the circle that meet. Mm. You know what I mean for me. And so, and I think the story made me think a lot about why. But I was thinking as young, the, my youngest memory of like sadness. And the loss that you're talking about is, I'm going to give you a little backstory. So when I was seven, no, I'm six, and I come to the United Seven. I come to the United States, and we visit in the summer, stay with my grandma, and uh, we stay in the Bronx for the summer. And I just thought it was like summer vacation. So it's like me and my cousin, and we're here. We have a good time. We're like church camp every day and like you know <laughs> eating box milk and all the other good stuff right I'm like this is amazing America's amazing so <laughs> and then we go back home and then shortly after I realized my mother's actually prepping us to move so we're moving to the United States this was just like a you know go check out where you're going to go live and we had lived in this like little small town in St. Thomas in Jamaica, which is like a not very populated place. Probably a thousand people lived there. We lived across from the beach. And my life was like real easy. I just like came home every day, pick mangoes, hang out with my friends, climb around, go to the beach, come back home. It was real easy. And I remember landing in JFK on January 25th. <laughs> And it was snowing and we didn't have jackets and we had just moved here. My brother cried for the entire four hour plane ride. Mm. So he cried the entire way. And it was still when you could carry like your taped up big box that was the size of like a refrigerator on the airplane. So it was like chaos on this airplane. And uh, we land, it's snowing. And I remember the sadness just hit me. I can feel it right now. I was in tears and I'm supposed to start school in the Bronx and Every morning it was so cold and I would get up in the morning and I would start this sad walk to school and I would literally be crying from the doorway all the way outside. And for the first week I shit my pants every day, come back home, take a shower, sad cry, walk again. And my mother's interesting person because she would like in those sad times, even in other times, she would just start giggling, just start like giddy laughing. And so I remember a couple of times walking on the streets, like freezing cold, we're just laughing, like can't believe we're here right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, sadness and happiness, like close on that circle for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Um, so I wouldn't have been a- able to tell this story prior to like three intense years of therapy. Um, So just as a disclaimer, because it's not something that I have readily available. Like I didn't have memory of sadness or this particular sadness prior to that. Um, But I've been, I've done this thing called EMDR. And part of this practice is you have a memory and you just keep going back into it, going back into it and trying to like heal it and like feel all of the feelings associated with this memory. And so um, in my memory, I was five, but in actuality, I was more like 10 as I've like done some more research around it. But I have this intense memory of being on my, like I had, we lived in the Bronx and we had a pair of bunk, like bunk beds and I'm on the top bunk and I am just weeping um 
And when I first, when I first started like reliving this memory, the first feeling I had was like anger. I remember like feeling really angry. Um, and then the more I thought about it, I was like, no, it wasn't really anger. It was intense sadness. And what, what I was experiencing was my parents, um, were separated and my dad at the time was like would come to our house whenever he wanted to like it was just like if you would ask me like I saw my parents both my parents every day my dad was in and out of our like house so you just had free reign and he came and told us that my mom said he can't come back to the house anymore and I remember feeling intense like sadness and anger towards my mother and sadness around the loss of my dad um and then my mom came and explained like she's explained like no he can come whenever he wants he just can't come into the house and you know in retrospect as an adult recognizing like trying to set boundaries and move forward but all I could remember or like the memory that's so intense to me is just like this intense like just weeping like a, like like it was I was never gonna stop crying like it was just like it was never going to end um and what I like in thinking about this episode and thinking about wanting to talk about children and really grief and how it functions um is this idea that really in childhood you're always grieving and I was like huh? like I was like doing research and thinking about what does it look like for ch children and sadness and it's like in childhood you're constantly grieving because there's constant loss and as you grow up um even without the stories that we share that were pretty like intense and like dramatic in some ways as you move away from your um as you move away from the security or whatever you had as you grow up, you're constantly experiencing that loss. Um, and I was like, oh my goodness, right? Like as you just described going to school every morning, here we are with these children and they're in a constant like state of grief. Um, and so I wonder how does grief show up for your children or how do you see it in them expressed? So it's interesting that you were saying that um, kids are going through this every day because as I was doing my recollection, it was hard to pinpoint sadness mm -hmm. as an adult mm -hmm. because I recognize the root of sadness as like fear or regret. Mm -hmm. And so... I can see now as an adult mm -hmm. how a lot of the times that I was sad, it was actually because I was scared about something or because I was missing out on something and I was disappointed, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm thinking about um, how my kids are expressing it, to me that question is you know, more about what's making them scared or mm -hmm. what's what are they... Um, maybe resentful of or mm -hmm. regretful about. Mm -hmm. um. Yeah, I think, I mean, just the, something that comes up and as you're talking about it is this idea that I know for many, like for me as a first generation um, Jamaican woman child, there was no room for sadness. And I think part of like why I, that memory that I, recollection that I just kind of like came to me, I, I can't remember crying from sadness. I remember crying from getting 
obedient, like getting in trouble mm -hmm. or not getting something that I wanted. But that idea of being sad, I was like, what? Wait, wait. I, I remember that I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I was ever sad as a child. You know, but you I mean? think about that now. But I in think, the moment when yes. you were a kid, you you were characterizing it differently, right? You were. You I think always that, felt sad. I think that as a child, there was no room for the expression of my sadness, mm. and so then it gets closed up or becomes something else. Whether it is like anger, or whether it is. Um, you know, giggling or laughter or whatever the comedy, like whatever that is, there's no capacity for it. And so do you remember, or did you have um, the ability to express your sadness? Like what happened when you cried as a child? Um, I think I could express sadness. I don't think that with the same, in the same type of household with, mm -hmm. with West Indian parents, I don't, I think they were, not tolerating it, but more like not moved by it. Mm. I think that my two eldest are often sad. Um, I find that to be like a very big theme mm -hmm. with teenagers mm -hmm. um, just trying to find their tribe. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's been very hard to watch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Keith, were you allowed your sadness as a child? Um, so I battled with depression from the ages of like 12 to like 15. Mm -hmm. So when I finally was able to come out of like dark spaces, I like do whatever I can to not go back. Mm -hmm. So I, I remember though from like 12 to 15, I was in really dark spaces. I would try to go to church as much or as often as possible because it made me feel like I was like doing something positive. It mm -hmm. was like, you know, so, you know, I would try to to be involved with as much as possible because it would just keep me busy mm -hmm. because then I wouldn't have time to actually confront the sadness. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't really have space to be sad mm -hmm. as, a, as, a, as a kid. Mm -hmm. Hey, were you allowed your sadness? No, I mean, what you guys were saying made me think a lot about it because I would have said yes, I think, initially, because I think my mom was really, my mom had a lot of space for that, but I think I learned from so, from mostly the men in my family and from so many people, this idea of like, the only way it was kind of like to make it out was to always be grinding. And mm -hmm. if you're sad, you don't got time to be grinding. Mm -hmm. So I was like, that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And then also this sign, like sadness being a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely like pushed it out. Like when Keith was saying that, like I pushed it out. And I also, I mean, now I say this cause it came up with my brother in a conversation where he was like really sad about something. And I was like telling him the ways that like I pivot and he's like, you're not getting it. This is not what I'm talking about. Man. I'm talking about like, let's just be sad yeah. and talk about our sadness. Uh -huh. so I'm like, but don't you have like a fidget toy or something that you can get happy with? Like, you know what I mean? like whatever it is. Uh -huh. But I also have these things that I was like, I found ways to make sure that like, it never snowballed because I thought that the sadness would never end if it mm -hmm. got too sad. Mm -hmm. So I was always like, all right, well, let's find some momentum. Mm -hmm. And I think that sports was a big part of that mm -hmm. for me. And I mm -hmm. find it like, Mm -hmm. And I almost became addicted to winning mm -hmm. because of it. Because I was mm -hmm. like, oh, if you win, you can just go back and daydream about that if mm -hmm. you're sad. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And so, mm -hmm. no, nah, no space for it all. I mean, it's everything you're I'm saying. I'm still finding space for it, probably. I know. I think, like, everything you're saying is, um, and everything we're expressing, I like I said, I, too, really did not feel like I had 
the space. And for so many reasons, I think what you spoke to Allegra of like, people were unmoved by it. You know, we're, we're in the world with people as children, we're getting messages about like how to be. And if you like do something and like, there's no response, like, you know, not, and, and I hear what you're saying, like it's nuanced. It's not necessarily cold. It's just, it's just what it is. Like there, like nothing is shifting because of your sadness. Um, And also we still gotta, we still gotta move. Like whatever is gonna happen is still gonna happen. Um, And I think so much about like in my own parenting that it's hard for me to have space for my children's sadness. I think they, they were born grieving, right? Like, like literally um, our oldest, I was pregnant with her the year Hamara's mom passed mm. and she was born into grief, you know, like, and the highs aren't as high as the sadness are sad. And when she was little, I didn't, you know, I mean, I didn't have the capacity. I didn't know um, how to make space for all of it. So there was a lot of like, you gotta stop crying. Like you can cry, right? Like, okay. Cause then I would get affected by it and I would be like, you were saying Keith, I would be paralyzed. And so I wonder like, how do you react? Like what happens to you physically, emotionally, when you see your child? Like you just spoke so well about what it is to be an adolescent, what it is to be a black child specifically in this world and looking for like validation and acceptance. Um, how do you react when they are expressing that grief. I know that I've had to grow into a space where I was more understanding. My poor, our poor, we always say that the first kid is No, the, ours too, ours the, too, the ours too. It's a real, but, it's a real thing. It's a she, real, she's the beta child. Yeah, really. it's a real thing, it's a um, real thing. But I know for her, um, it was always like, you know, there was there there was no really yeah. real tolerance mm-hmm. of you know these tantrums and meltdowns mm-hmm. whereas now we're like okay just go in your room have a moment mm-hmm. you know whatever it is but i remember i remember this one friend that we had um has a kid around uh, our second daughter's age um and he used to throw tantrum. I mean, we would be at the museum. He'd be falling out on the floor, and I would come home and be like, "Keith, I, I can't, I can't do it. Like, I'm not, I'm not going out with her anymore uh-huh. because this kid is falling apart, uh-huh. apart everywhere we go. It's crazy, embarrassing. Like, mm-hmm. and now I see it. Mm-hmm. You know, then I'd mm-hmm. be, then I'd be like, oh no, this is really embarrassing. Mm-hmm. This is, and now I don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, now I'm mm-hmm. like, all right, well, you, we're crying in the grocery store. All right, that's what she's mm-hmm. doing, and mm-hmm. you'll be all right. Mm-hmm. We'll all survive. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's real easy, like in a space with mostly white people. But I was in a place last week, and it was all black people. Glory <laughs> <And, laughs> was losing her mind. <laughs> And at one point, she sees that I'm frazzled. Like, I can't even remember where I am, right? Like, I'm, like, just strong. Like, I'm in there just shake. All these women are just walking by, like, <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? Just shaming me with their eyes. And Glo- Glory get- looked up at me, and she goes, Are you embarrassed? Why? You have no reason to be embarrassed, Dad. I was like, now I'm really embarrassed. Like, let's get out of this store. So, I mean, it all depends, man. It depends on the space I'm in. I think I'm trying to make space for them in all the times. Mm -hmm. I think it really is a reflection of how I'm feeling. Like, if I go to church 
and you go to grandma's church and everyone starts looking at me and Gloria's losing her mind, me and grandma dragging around in there, right? Because I just, like, I think something about like my own childhood judgment of like mm-hmm. that same, how much room you make for sadness is still with me, you know what I mean? I really appreciate that we are recognizing that sadness and tantrums are related versus, because I think a lot of p- parents would say like, yeah, my kid could be sad. What they can't be is like angry or tantruming or like whining and all of that. But it really is all expressions of this sadness. So to Homero's point earlier about like giddiness and sadness being like really right next to each other on that, on you know, if that's, if the spectrum is bent, mm-hmm. right? And those, those two feelings being like right next to each other, mm-hmm. that's really kind of like, how it feels for me. And I'm, I'm saying that as somebody who's experienced mm-hmm. like clinical depression, like mm-hmm. what that means, right? Um, it is it is a darkness. It is a, and I don't, let me not say darkness. It is a cloud. Mm-hmm. It, is a, it is a fog that you can try to reason out of, but it won't go away. Mm-hmm. It, is a, um, it is an emotion that you'll try to like, you'll try to do anything. You'll do any impulsive behavior to try to get out of, that feeling, but it can't escape you mm-hmm. because you have to confront, you have to confront it and exist in it until you go from lamenting to mourning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that we have to be careful though. We're talking a lot about um, our children that are expressing it mm-hmm. and then kind of passing over the kids that are, that seem tougher. Yes. And um, we have one of I, those. We and, have one of those. And I want to say that you know, as a kid, I was always labeled sensitive. Mm-hmm. And then when I became a teenager, I was always like super tough, like mouthing off, you know, like. <laughs> Not I never, you, Allegra. Yes. <laughs> no. Um, you know, always like letting people have it because I always wanted to be the first one. I didn't want to be on the receiving end of it. So if I give them enough mouth, you know, they're not going to come back at me. But people always saw through that. Mm-hmm. Um And now as an adult, I really resent when people say you're sensitive Mm -hmm. because I think that there's strength in sensitivity. Absolutely. I think we we put too much value on being Mm -hmm. strong or tough Mm -hmm. sometimes. I try to think about that with Moxie all the time because of what you're saying is like, because I'm always like, Am I just forgetting that she is also emotional and Mm -hmm. sensitive just because she displays in a different way? Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to look for it because then it becomes too much to bear. And then it's like a big, you know, it all overflows. So what are your like, like more like how have you mourned as a family? Like, how have you mourned with your children? Whether it's like you've experienced a loss of like a family member, um, someone that you care for or like the loss of like. We recently had a fire um, at our house and it's like this loss of security and like what that looks like. Like, how have you been in practice with your children around mourning? What does it look like? A lot of people think it's important to appear strong to their kids because you're like the parent. And so you're supposed to keep it all together. But I think that I want my, not I think, I know that I want my kids to understand that I'm a human being Mm -hmm. and, um, I'm imperfect and in that imperfection I'm going to have like highs and lows Mm -hmm. and that it's normal because I don't I think if you don't normalize like that there are lows that they're gonna feel crazy when they have those their own experiences with lows Mm -hmm. um and then who do they go to 
Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Can you tell me anything about people that you've lost and mourned? I lost someone named Miss Norman. I called her that. She was a friend of mine. I would go and I'd talk to her. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah. And you became friends? Yeah. Um, She's your neighbor. She was your next door neighbor. Yeah. And she was was an older lady. Mm -hmm. How old do you think Miss Norma was? I have no idea. What do you think? I think she was 80. Okay. So she was like 80 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you had a friend that was 80 years old. And then what happened to her? She died in Jamaica. She moved to Jamaica and then she died. Mm Mm-hmm. I remember you were really, really sad. I was really, really sad. But you did something that I thought was really special to mourn her and to honor her. You did like a, you made like some kind of um, altar or something for her. Do you remember? I did that on the day of the dead loss. What did you do? I, first I tried my best to print a colored picture of her. Mm -hmm. Then I, then after that happened, I made these little decorative, like, scully things with flowers and stuff out of paper. And then I put it somewhere. And then I put the flower and stuff next to it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. Did doing that help with your sadness? It did. It made me feel good. I guess thinking about it helps a lot. Celebrating it, in a way. Celebrating what? The fact that she did live. Recently, I've been like really in touch with like thinking about connecting to ancestors through meditation and all of these things. And I've had a lot of moments of like hearing being in space with my ancestors in ways that I don't know that I was open enough to hear. Um, And this idea that like life doesn't end, like it just like moves to another energy and continues in some way is something that I am openly passing down and speaking to my children about um, all the time. And to them, it's just a given. Like to, the, you know, like this idea of um, death is something that they are so much more comfortable with than I ever was. Um, they were all in the house when my grandmother passed. Like she went through hospice and they were there. And Glory must have been like, three or something too. And she was like in the room and patting her head. Like it was like a very different experience than I have. Um, Yeah, I think think, uh, we've had some interesting experiences with loss. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, obviously most recently, um, you know, um, a very close family member. Um, But over the years, we've lost very close family members. Mm -hmm. And... The thing that's been interesting, I think, for us to watch is not just how they they watch us process loss, mourning, but they watch the children of our loved ones because we lost people who were relatively young. Mm-hmm. And so there were children that are, were around their age. Mm-hmm. And so watching them like 
watching them see other children um, go through the grieving process for a parent has been interesting. And we've seen them um, practice um, a level of empathy mm-hmm. that, at least for Kennedy and Callie, it, it, we've seen them practice or um, exercise a level of empathy that, that, you know, was, it was, I think it was a curious for me to see, mm-hmm. but in the same, at the same time, the, the, the twins, kids are so brutally honest. They are. That sometimes, you know, you, you, they ask questions. And when we see, like, we see them asking questions about death mm-hmm. to people who've lost a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it makes me uncomfortable because I'm like, you know, is this gonna? You know, is this gonna trigger something? Yeah. Like, what is what is this doing? Um, but I think I've been working to try to like be more open in those moments and mm-hmm. just let communication happen mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because that's where the, the kids. I don't think that they've necessarily the meaning the younger ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that they've necessarily processed had to process loss like that until very recently with your aunt. What we've learned fairly recently, like, oh, everybody's going to take care of everything, right? Because, like, what you're talking about, like, it, it moves. It keeps happening. So so that, there's that. But I think that sadness is also the opportunity when most of us find our power, find our voice, Absolutely. right? Like, in our deepest, darkest troubles, right? And the, the deepest shit 100. we've gone through. Right? We, we got smarter. We got wiser. We got better. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's good, too, that you're showing the balance because mm-hmm. there's there needs to be balance between like wallowing in it, but then also being able to function. Right? Absolutely. Like we can't like spend we have to yeah. find a midway point and that you can like you, yeah. that you can't like you it, like you can cry like mm-hmm. you can cry in front of people you can. And when it makes people uncomfortable, that's about their own discomfort with their feelings versus like you having to quiet um what's going on for you. Thank you all for coming and talking about sadness in ways that feel um, good. Like it feels like good and sad. Um, Thank you guys. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening. We wish you the best of luck along your parenting journey. And know that I have your back. This podcast was produced by Domino Sound. How you mean? You know? Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.